And I realized after a couple of years of going to events, I was actually getting frustrated when they were over. And I was thinking, why am I not happy like going back to my office? I should be motivated and excited. And it was this setting in kind of sinking feeling that I wouldn't be able to talk like this with people for another year till I went back to the same event. So I realized that I needed to change that. And I either had to join a group or start one myself. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Sean Kapasinski, welcome to Bridging the Gap, my friend. Long time no talk. I think we last saw each other in Tampa, Florida. How are you, man? How's everything going with you? I'm doing great. Good to see you, Matt. Nice to talk to you and happy to have this conversation. Yeah. You know, before we start recording here, I was telling you, I mean, I've got so much that we can we can talk about here. You and I have always had great conversations. I've appreciated them. But, you know, I think today is going to be like a smorgasbord of conversation, right? We're going to talk operations. We'll talk technology. We'll talk low M&A. I think we'll get to all of it. Uh, we probably could talk for hours, but we know that people have other other things they want to do. So I- I'm stoked about it, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before we dive into everything, though, in the topic itself, I'm curious. I always like to ask people, you know, your journey here, but I always like to ask that question by saying, the 13-year-old Sean Kapasinski, what did the 13-year-old Sean Kapasinski want to do? Was it, was it this, Senior Director of Technology at Sequoia? <laughs> not at all, not at all. Uh, the 13-year-old Sean uh, enjoyed playing basketball and dreamed of designing tennis shoes basketball shoes, athletic shoes, something like that. So when we had art class, that's how I spent my free time is I was just doodling and and trying to draw cool shoes. And there's companies now that let you do that custom ID thing. So you can almost live out what you were dreaming as a 13 year old a long time ago. But no, I had no clue what this industry was at the time. Did not imagine I'd be doing what I am today. And happy to say that too, because I'm, I'm always excited about new things that come across my world in terms of opportunities. And I can certainly say this career kind of landed in my lap, not in the way that I w- ever would have planned it back when I was a, a teenager. Well, so now let me ask you real quick, do you then, has that transpired into you having just like an amazing collection of shoes? Like you've got some of the coolest Jordans and, and things like that, or is it kind of subsided and you just have plain old traditional shoes? So I'm a runner and runners have this affinity for getting more shoes probably than they need. It, it comes comes to us naturally, right? We always need the next pair. So I could say I've had a lot of running shoes, put a lot of miles on shoes and do wear them out. So I think that's a little bit justified in terms of getting a bunch of running shoes. But my son has probably developed that affinity that he's a teenager. So he's got kind of the same interest that I had at that age. So he's got he's got more of the, let's call it the specialty type these days than I do. Mine are a little bit more function. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. But that just shows your maturity, the functionality versus <laughs> eclectic aspect of it. Well, so, so tell me this, right? So that's where, you know, kind of where you were when you were 13. What's the journey that's gotten you to where you are now with Sequoia and having such an integral role with the team, both on ops and technology? Tell us a little bit about that journey. Sure. So uh, I studied marketing at the University of Akron. That's, that's where my, you could say my career kind of started is studying something that I was hoping to use in some type of business capacity. And even then, I didn't really know what I wanted. I liked the idea of kind of that creative side drew me a little bit to the marketing front. But my big dream was actually to move to New York City. And so I spent the first year out of school in New York City. And unfortunately, I did not find a job in marketing, but I found a sales-related job with MassMutual, an insurance company. And so I spent that first year trying to sell insurance to people I didn't know. And it was basically an industry and a, uh, you could say, a product set that I, I didn't know that well and was learning. 
I had gotten married and my wife and I moved back to Ohio where we're both from, knowing we wanted to start a family uh, not too far thereafter and really hoping that uh, we could both find work you know, back home, which turned out to be a pretty, I don't want to say easy thing to do, but it was it, it landed pretty well for both of us. She ended up right back actually where she had worked before we left. And I found my role with Sequoia, which at the time, I wasn't sure was I going to use that marketing degree and try to get into marketing kind of a second time, or was I going to use that year of experience in this financial services realm that kind of opened up opportunities or opened up possibilities of doing something in that realm. So I did end up uh, finding an initial role with Sequoia as an admin assistant, real basic, open accounts, transfer assets, answer emails, answer the phone sometimes. And that was really the start of my journey. So a couple of years in, I was asked to manage the team that was going to grow into this client service role that we have many more folks doing it today. And so out of my 20 years there, I spent, say, right around 14 years managing that client services team. Through those 14 years, there were a lot of projects that came up that ended up being tech-related. A lot of them centered around our CRM system. And so I spent growing amount of my time working on those CRM projects with the MSP that was essentially supporting us and kind of building out things that we wanted or thought we needed and learned how that system really worked. At that 14 to 15 year point is when a big project came up to change our CRM system and essentially required our now chief technology officer and myself to essentially dedicate ourselves full time to this technology area within Sequoia. So we got involved in that project and there was no looking back when it came to future projects that spun off of that. So the past six years have been focused in the technology area within the firm. These days, the specifics are infrastructure and cybersecurity. So those are really the two areas that I focus on today. Moved out of that operations part of the business, but definitely you can imagine from a tech infrastructure standpoint, you do get your hands into almost all parts of the business one way or another. So that's kind of the, uh, I don't know how many minutes, three minutes, of the the journey that I've taken in my career. I love that. I think it's such a testament and a necessity to have someone that knows the business, especially from the service side, move into technology. I think that it's a it's, it's someone leads to trouble when you just have someone come in that only knows tech, but doesn't know the business because you start solving really the wrong problems and, and not understanding the day-to-day intricacies. And so I think that that's, what's really unique about what you and you mentioned CTO Trevor Juno, who I know as well, have been able to solve because you come at it from an angle of being in the business and serving. And I'm curious from your standpoint, what's your perspective on that? Like, what do you believe the the incremental value or the impact that that has had? And, and how can you help people really understand the impact that's had from going from service to technology that may not have, I know you, you know, don't know it, but may not have had seen had just coming in from technology and trying to solve some of these challenges that y'all had at Sequoia or opportunities? Yeah. So I would say that somebody that may have come in with more of a technical background would certainly, let's say, be ahead of where I am today as it relates to knowing the intricacies of technological infrastructure that a firm might need, right? The back end of networks and servers, et cetera. Things that I've only recently really learned about. But you could say what's missing from that type of a knowledge set is that background and understanding our business in particular. So knowing the kind of front-end user side, I very much am aware, uh, with Trevor's help, of the outcome that we want to see and the maybe the nuances of how the impacts to all of our users 
is going to hit them prior to rolling it out, prior to a beta test, right? Prior to actually going live with something. There's a lot of insight into having those 20 years of experience in knowing, okay, here's the things that we need to be careful about. Here's what we don't want to happen. Here's what we've seen before. Those are the conversations that I'm able to have with our MSP now and any other vendor that we might do business with where we can say, we know the front end, we know the outcome, we know what the experience should be. And so it's very much focused on that. From a tech standpoint, a lot of what you do is initially focused on your users, right? Before it gets to the end client or before the experience that your firm has with the end client, your team needs to know and understand that technology and how to use it. So we've invested, you could say, in a tech team that's able to support our firm and all of the users in terms of how they use that technology. So we're almost a little bit less truly back-end technical on how to build stuff. We have some of that, but we also outsource some of that because we kind of focus on what we do best. And that is this integrating the tech and what we want to do with it with our users who will then distribute it out and hopefully benefit our clients. It's that mentality is tech as a tool, not the tool. Tech as an augmentation to what you do, not being what you do. And I think that that's such an important aspect. And I love that approach. I want to shift a little bit to operations for a second before we dive even further into technology, because I think that y'all have built an amazing firm, huge firm, and operations is at the key, is at the kind of the forefront of making sure that that runs smoothly. I'm curious from your perspective, how does it, you know, you're thinking about a well-run, well-organized, efficient operations team and a strategy that is focused on efficiency and well-run How does that impact firm performance from your seat, from your perspective, when you think about operational efficiency, operational structure, everybody knowing what their role is and what to do next? Like, What what does that do to an organization, maybe both culturally and from a performance standpoint, whether it's financially or, or end result value to the client? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I guess it makes me think of there are many firms that I don't know if I use the word succeed, but they they exist and they live on and they build a business and they grow with very basic tech, okay? So knowing that that is possible, that's where you kind of have to look at it and say, all right, what's the ROI, right? What's the the point of maybe using technology or what, what can we do differently? How can this really benefit our clients? How can this benefit our firm uh, by having an operation structure that allows us to take advantage of what technology offers, but also have that kind of personalized experience. The one thing, and I know we're going to talk about hyphen in a little bit as well. And so the one thing I can say of talking to a ton of other firms in our industry is that there's no magic bullet, right? There's no single answer. There's no perfect tech stack. There's no, here's one way to do it. And that's the only way, or that's the best way. So when you, when you know that it's maybe there, there's good and bad to that. You know, the good is it takes off a little pressure saying, okay, it's not like we're, we're finding this needle in a haystack and that's the only perfect way to run a business. But it also puts a little bit of pressure to say, but we got to find out what works for us and we got to make sure that this is efficient and this does have an ROI. So I would say when you don't have this perfect model, right, the, the industry or the profession, some look at as fairly young, right, maybe not as, as old as some other industries. And, and that means you're not going to have as much to draw upon. You're going to see probably a lot of big firms that were successful, but it's harder to have those insights into smaller firms because maybe the ones that weren't successful, you just, you don't hear, you don't learn from them. Not everybody can go to conferences and and hear from the stories 
there's rarely sessions on failure, right? There's a lot of stories on a success and a lot of people get up and tell, hey, here's what worked for us. But not everybody relates to that because they're like, oh no, we're not doing that. We want to know what we're doing. Does that work? So, you know, the structure that we built over the years, I have to admit, I think there's some trial and error to it. Now, you learn, you, you figure out, are you going to go with a centralized model, right? Versus are you going to have a more, you know, parsed out model where you might have, if you have multiple offices, or are you going to have teams in a team structure where different advisors work with only certain CSAs, as an example? Certain back office activities might make sense to be centralized and others may not. You know, that I do think is not always a, a, an easy answer. I don't think there's one answer for how every firm should be run. I do believe that people can find a way to be efficient with how they do things, even if they do them differently. As firms grow, that's where you probably have to make those decisions. Uh, if you're smaller, they, they may not force you to make those types of decisions. You just kind of keep doing what you've done and you make small tweaks. As you grow, if you acquire or you add more advisors or you add a team, you're going to be somewhat forced to say, okay, are they going to adopt everything that the rest of the firm has been doing already? Or are we going to let that group maybe act a little bit differently? And sometimes you're going to have a list of things that they can do differently and it doesn't have a big impact. And other things you're going to say, boy, if they do th these things differently, if their marketing is different, if their you know, structure from an ops standpoint is different, how they're managing people is different, that could have an inefficiency effect on the rest of the firm that you just don't want to have. So those are some of the hard questions that growth brings. I think growth challenges you in that way. And you know, our firm has tried to address those things head on as we've grown, as we've adopted new tech, as we've added offices, as we've added advisors. You know, you're forced to make these decisions that there's no clean answer to. Um, and so you got to have a great team that's willing to work together, sit in a room and essentially adjust as you go. So those are those are some of my thoughts and kind of the structure that we've built very high level. But that's some of what I guess I've seen over the years. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I love the point about like you got to choose centralized. Is it parsed out? Is it teams? And it's not an all or nothing, right? Some things could be yeah. centralized. Some things could be teams. Some things need to have an all or nothing. Some things don't understanding that. And then the idea about growth and evolution, I think is really interesting. I'm curious from y'all because y'all have grown extremely fast and quickly from an operation standpoint, what, what are some things that you've learned that were challenges operationally as you grew? What were some of those operational challenges and nuances that y'all had to overcome? And, and you, you'll, you'll probably experience a hundred more in the future, but going from where you were over the last 20 years, to where you are today, can you identify some of those operational challenges or remember some of them that like stand out that you now have overcome, but was like really, really challenging in that moment? Yeah. And again, I'll, I'll kind of be somewhat specific, somewhat high level here. One I can think of is for a long time, we were single custodian and over time, uh, advisors were getting asked about having a variety of custodians, right? Putting their assets in different custodians' hands, so to speak. And so it was, you could say, easier to just have one, right? Because not only were you only dealing with one company, there was one offering, all your CSAs, all your advisors, they really only had to know and learn one custodian and how they operated. So that was definitely, you could say it was a bit of a challenge for the advisors to have those conversations up to a point where we made the decision to say, you know what, we're going to add a second large custodian and now have options. So you, you kind of opened up this world, which was a very good thing, I think, from a client perspective, and also a big challenge for the firm. So operationally, you now had to learn kind of the sets of rules and when they were different, deciding when to go to one custodian versus another. That's another big challenge. You know, how's your firm going to do that? What are they going to value? 
what is our client going to value and how do we put that in front of them, right? The, the decision tree was not always a perfect, you know, if it's yet, answer this question, if it's yes, go to custodian A, if it's no, go to custodian B. It's usually not that black and white. It's a little bit of gray, right? Because people value things differently. Along those lines, I would also say new technology, right? If you keep what you have, especially as your firm grows in size and you go from 50 to 100 to 200 employees, the, the interest of the firm for new capabilities is what often drives our desire for new technology. And when you go in that route, you're basically accepting the fact that we're going to take on something new, the challenge of kind of building or customizing it in a way that it works for how we operate and what our clients are looking to get out of that. And then we're responsible to upkeep that. So I think I had mentioned to you before, I know we have talked about this previously, this concept of building something, and then there's a cost to maintain it. And then over time, you probably are going to improve it. So I've been using that phrase a lot, build, maintain, and improve. You know, that is something that certainly in this tech front, we run into a lot. We realize, boy, you kind of accumulate this build. And as fast as somebody finishes building one thing, the next idea comes, right? From our C-suite mm-hmm. through all the advisors, everyone's got the greatest next idea and they want you to go build the next one. And we're thinking, boy, we got to just maintain this. We got to make sure that we can keep the lights on and, and keep the computers running and make sure that you know functionally everything that maybe we promised or that we heard from the vendor that they could supply in this product or service is running smoothly from now into the future. There's a cost to that to the firm. So that's, that's one of those learnings that from an operational standpoint, you can't just build, build, build because you're going to have to support that. So whether it's the new custodian, whether it's a different CRM, whether it's a brand new planning tool or some type of AI capability, getting that out to multiple users and supporting that over time. And then as the need for change comes up, you have to improve what you're actually using. You know, there, there's a cost to that that the firm has to consider. So we, we try to be a lot better at that than we used to be. And when you grow, the last comment, I guess, or the last item I was thinking of from an operational challenge is just that concept of M&A. When you add a new team to your firm, especially if it's at a new location, the potential for, uh, it's not conflict, but it's just, it's challenge, right? Because things are done differently. It's, it's effectively like somebody, you know, a group is joining your family. You're kind of adopting people together and now they, they are on the same team but they live in a different house, right? And their kitchen looks different than our kitchen and their bathroom looks different than our bathroom. They both functionally do the same thing, right? You're planning for clients, you're investing for clients, you're answering questions, supporting them, providing resources. But how you do that and the technology that you use, that presents a a lot of challenge that kind of takes time to work through. And we've always shared with teams that join us, you know, unfortunately, this will be a little bit uncomfortable as we make this change. You know, you, you've got phones and we've got phones and you've got email and we have email and you have a file system and we have a file system. But when the change happens, it's going to be this uncomfortable, you know, like, like when you get a new car, the, the way that the radio works or the touch screen is different than your old push button, right? learning that change, you know, you're going to get used to it. You know, eventually it'll be okay. But as we've done more and more in that world of, you know, adding teams to our company, it's a fantastic outcome, but it's a lot of work to get there, which is, you know, no surprise. Um, You're essentially inviting, you know, new challenges because of those differences. 
I, I love that idea of build, maintain, and improve. I don't think that too many people understand that. And I, I would even say that some firms that aren't as big maybe buy, maintain, and improve, right? They buy it, but yep. they, they forget about the maintain and improve state. They think that the buy is just going to allow you to, to solve all your problems. But there's two major aspects of the cost analysis that go into it to determine the ROI of that solution. You know, I, I want to just, just for maybe one minute, and then I want to dive into hyphen and then some technology stuff, but like the custody selection challenge, that is a, that's a, that's a problem that I think a lot of firms struggle with over time, especially now you think about like the TDA and the Schwab merger, and you think about wanting to have other opportunities. That seems like a huge operational lift to allow for that, right? Because you've got one process, one custodian, and now you're bringing in another custodian. You've got to do the same thing, but they both have different processes. I'm curious if you could maybe give us a high level overview or as deep dive as you want of like how y'all solve that to make it, to not lose efficiency by adding in complexity, which is what you did by adding in another custodian. Mm -hmm. So at the time, uh, it was eight years ago that we added the second custodian and uh, effectively it leaves us where maybe many are today, which is you've you've got two big kind of giants in this space and, and that's where Sequoia is at. So the fact that we were essentially adding a bit of a known entity, right? We, we were not maybe experimenting. We were not early to the game with a, a smaller custodian that was offering something different. So I can't say that the, the decision was hard in terms of who, right? It, it was more of a decision of should we and when. And I think it was because of the constant demand, right? From a client perspective, there was demand for this allocation of maybe dispersing assets a bit. There was, you know, concern. What if something happened to one of the custodians? So today, I think the the landscape is different. There are more options in this space. There are more players. There are uh, smaller ones. There are, are kind of medium sized ones, and then you have your large. And certainly, there are the pros and cons to all of those. One thing that I know we do on the technology front, and we would probably suggest this. Maybe this is typical for any decision making, but instead of looking at the options first that are out there and then trying to kind of work backwards and decide, okay, of what they offer, who do we want? We actually prefer to start with what do we want? What do we need a custodian to provide and come up with our list before we even go out and view what those options are? That would be my preferred way of approaching any type of need that a firm has. If it's changing custodians, if it's adding technology, start with kind of your blank sheet of paper or your maybe existing world and say, uh, I'll, I'll use the example of changing our CRM system. You know, we ended up looking at our existing system and kind of saying, here's all the things it can't do. And here's what we want it to do five years from now. I think from a custodial standpoint, it's probably somewhat of a similar process. Again, you're asking a tech guy that's very, you know, maybe thinking about tech more than I am about a custodial change. So I'm, I'm sure others would have advice that would give you more specifics about pricing and, and relationship and, and all the aspects that maybe advisors deal with much more than I do. But that's, that's kind of what I think of when it comes to, you know, how you make a decision like that. It's such a big decision. It's not something that I would want to just kind of go shopping, window shopping and say, all right, this one looks good. You know, I think we can work with that versus going and saying, here's our requirements and then go to multiple custodial options and basically let them respond to what, you know, you're uh, asking for. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's also a matter of having the infrastructure with regards to operations teams to enable them and empower them 
to service clients independent of the custodians in the same way. And I think that that's a unique challenge that comes as you add in that new custodian, right? That has to be thought through. Technology can help, but process improvement, workflow automation, those types of things are, are really integral. I, I want to shift gears now over to Hyphen. And I've had some connection with Hyphen and I was very honored to be able to speak to the group. And it's an amazing group of individuals. Tell us a little bit about Hyphen and what it is, because I think that the community aspect is so needed. And I, I, I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air for so many of the listeners. Yeah, well, I'll just tell kind of the story similar to how you asked about my career. I can say this has definitely been a, a piece of my career and the fact that it's provided a bunch of opportunities for me that years ago I would never have imagined. So uh, kind of the origin story started by going to a few events that were custodian related. So having gone to a few events and meeting different individuals there, primarily they were advisors. And once in a while, I would rub shoulders and talk with people that were in a similar role that I was at the time. The best situations I found myself in were these roundtable discussions where you'd sit and there'd be some moderator that would basically kind of prompt everyone with a question and you'd go around the table and six, seven, eight people would share their experiences. And I just left those conversations so charged and excited this was the most valuable piece of an event that I found is being able to get that kind of peer feedback because, you know, a custodial provider in that case might give you a presentation and say, here's how you're supposed to use the tool or here's what it can do, right? There's, there's always a little marketing fluffed into that. Uh, but then you'd sit down with actual as users of such tool and they would say, so we've had experience or we were in the beta group and here's what some people had problems with, or here's what we experienced. And that was five times more valuable than, you know, what it's supposed to do is somebody that said, yes, it actually works, or here's what you got to be careful about, or it's great, but it's expensive, right? Just that buying process. We didn't have like a reviews type experience with anything that we were doing that was new. You can't just, there, there's not the, the Amazon reviews to read and, and be able to go through that. So to be able to have that type of feedback was just completely wonderful. And I realized after a couple of years of going to events, I was actually getting frustrated when they were over and I was thinking, why am I not happy like going back to my office? I should be motivated and excited. And it was this setting in kind of sinking feeling that I wouldn't be able to talk like this with people for another year till I went back to the same event. So I realized that I needed to change that. And I either had to join a group or start one myself. And when I searched around and asked around, I could not find anything that existed at the time. So this was 2010. There was really no ops focused for RAA people in, in some type of professional ops role, there was no group that was that specific to that niche. So I reached out to five or six people that uh, I had rubbed shoulders with over the past couple of years and just said, hey, I'd love to have a regular conversation where we share ideas just like we've done in these roundtables. What do you think? Is that something you're interested in? And five were crazy enough to say, yeah, that sounds great. You know, I'll, I'll talk with you for an hour once a month and trade ideas and have conversations like you and I have had at, at events, right? We sit down and do it over breakfast and that's great, but that is one-on-one. -on -one. And that may not be as efficient as if somebody else could organize a, a smaller group to sit down on a regular basis, do it virtually. You know, we were having the Zoom calls before it was the cool thing that everybody was doing. And, you know, that, that started in 2010. We had this small group that as we maybe ran into people and shared it, it kind of snowballed. So over the next almost 13 years now, the word is just slowly spread, whether it's through a session like this, whether it's through an event that I go to and speak at, there's certainly been a lot of things that have come and we've expanded what we do in terms of having a discussion board, having 
presenters such as yourself talk to our group about you know what what you know and your experience. We like to have vendors. We've had people from custodians, tech consultants, uh, compliance folks, marketing, the insurance, really all sides of running the business. We've tried to get in front of our folks because so often, like I found myself early in my career here, you, you don't know where the answers are. There's no textbook. There's no degree. You're, you're not a 13-year-old saying, all right, I'm going to grow up and really dive into RAA operations. Nobody's going to college for that even. Everyone wants to be maybe a financial planner is about as close as you get. And you realize after I've had the opportunity to talk with a bunch of those students now, they all are a little worried. What, what if I can't be an advisor? What if I'm not a good advisor? And so I love going to groups like that saying, there's a lot of roles that support advisors that you'd probably be really good at. And you've got skills that you can use in this industry. Mm. And Tell them about my group saying, hey, there's a support group that's got almost 300 firms across the country connected and regularly share advice and experiences to help you learn and do your job better. My interest in getting better at what I did was almost short-lived as the purpose of Hyphen. It, it was pretty much the purpose until I named it Hyphen, which was about three years in. And at that point, I realized I'm going to get a lot more out of this if I just help support what everyone else kind of wants from this group. And so the mission shifted pretty quickly away from just me getting benefit for my firm to I'm going to build this or structure it in a way that you can succeed, that everyone who joins can get out of it what they want. And with that focus, I could say it's done really well, uh, kind of a slow, steady growth, but I'm, I'm comfortable with that because it allows me to still focus on my day job with Sequoia, do what I love there and have this side passion project of helping maybe support the industry and provide a, a community that thankfully even now, isn't the only one, right? There's a handful of others that have popped up over the past many years. And I think that's great. I really don't look at it as competition. I think, boy, if somebody joins something and it's a little different than us and helps them do their role better and, and help their firm grow and promotes the RIA space, I am all for that. So that's that's really kind of where it started and, and how it's grown. I, I love that. And I, I echo your sentiment on the community side of things, right? It's just such an important aspect. The more that we can get people sharing and ideating, then we can create really innovative thoughts by bringing different concepts together. I'm curious from within the walls of Hyphen, given kind of its operationally focused, what are some of the biggest challenges that are coming up in conversations for firms today? I'm, I'm curious of what some of those conversations are around and what are some of those challenges that firms are having and what, what are those discussions like around those, those major challenges? Yeah, so maybe not surprisingly, if I had to pick a category that comes up the most, it is technology. It is what is available. It's what's out there. I think you and I were on stage together earlier this year, and we, we commented as to whether all of the competition was good or not, right? I mentioned the, the Kitsis FinTech map having whatever the number was, maybe 200 vendors on there, and whether that's a good thing or not. Not getting into that debate, but just commenting on the fact that there are so many options. There are a lot of firms that are unsure of where to go, right? They know that, hey, we've been doing something on an Excel sheet forever. It's time to upgrade. We found the FinTech map category and there's seven options. I don't know where to begin. Help me out, right? That's, that's what people are often saying. I heard of this company or our advisor went somewhere and talked to someone and he suggested we look into this company. Does anybody out there have any experience? That is probably the most common conversation. I know you referenced, we, you know, we might talk about AI a little bit. That's certainly one that's, that's popping up, right? Is that people are saying, all right, there's a few more AI tools always around the corner. 
Same question. Who's using them? What's your experience? How do you support it? Do you need to have an expert? Are they self-serve? Like, can they support you? People want to know what this is like, because I do think that whether you acknowledge the words, you know, build, maintain, improve, people are realizing there's a cost, right? Beyond just buying it and turning it on and walking away. So the fact that you know these ops people are often the ones that are recognizing, all right, I'm going to be the one that's got to implement this and I got to support this and I got to know it. I want to have a good experience. So if I'm going to go with a tool that reads my meeting notes and gives me some action items, uh, I want to talk to other firms that have worked with them and find out, you know, is this a solution that's viable or is it good marketing and it doesn't really work or it's crazy expensive to get to the point where Mm. it's customized for your firm. So that's, that kind of review of technology is probably one of the, the highest things that we consistently do. The only thing you could say that's really changed over the 12 years is what the technology tools are, right? A second one kind of falls similar to this, but we reference the custodians. And whether, whether it's a firm that's looking at a new custodian or whether it's a firm that is just trying to deal with new technology that a custodian is putting out, you had referenced the TD Schwab deal. That has brought a lot of questions because we've had folks that are Schwab only. We've had a lot of hyphen members that might be TD members uh, that are you know, shifting into Schwab now. And there's a handful that don't use either. And so some of the questions that come out are, you know, what's everybody doing in response to X, Y, or Z issue that's maybe being forced to TD folks? And uh, the, the Schwab firms are, are commenting about maybe the changes to their service teams and, and the, the good and the bad there. And so any type of big, maybe industry change that has an impact on firms, especially with these really large industry providers, those are conversations that happen pretty regularly. So there are members that join Hyphen simply for the point of listening. I try to ask them. I try to get them engaged. Mm. I I make sure if you're on a call with us, we almost call on everybody to make sure that everyone participates. But on the discussion board, I've had some folks, we actually have an option of you can kind of just join the online version only. And some people have told me flat out, I try to have a conversation with folks as they join. And some have said, like, just so you know, I don't know how active I'll be, but I'm going to be listening. And they take that almost as like an insurance policy Mm -hmm. to say, I know I have a group I can go to if I need to. And I know that I can listen to what everybody's dealing with and see if I'm missing anything, if it's something that we're not even thinking about. So the last, the last maybe big item that that comes up more and more is around M&A, where you've got firms that are, whether they're adding a single advisor who's, you know, leaving a wirehouse and, and joining them or somebody who's left a bank or a trust company or an insurance company. You know, they, they want to ask people that have experience, how have you dealt with this? Certainly the technology, maybe of two RIAs coming together. How do you deal with that change in technology? How have you dealt with different services that maybe those firms have provided? We talked earlier about the structure of their operations team. How do you deal with that when they're used to centralizing everything with one person or the opposite? You centralize, but they had every advisor doing trading, Right. So they're asking those questions because we all know that there's options and you're going to have a better chance picking an option that kind of works for your firm if you've heard from others who've gone through it. So those are just a few of the areas I think that regularly come up in our group. Yeah, I love that. I think that that is just the the perfect visual of innovation, right? Of figuring out, learning from different people, putting pieces together and then adapting it for how you would use it in your own firm and you're innovating on your own firm outside your own four walls. 
you know, I want to shift to technology for a second and then move into just one question on M&A before we close out. You know, two questions on innovation or on technology. With the first one being, we talked about the map and so many technology companies out there. I'm curious from your perspective, how firms or how you all have been able to go about adopting technology, evolving the technology that you're using, given the rapid pace of evolution of technology in our space, but still sticking true to who you are. I think that that's a challenge that firms face is that it's like, if I go and adopt this technology, it depersonalizes or sensitizes what we do in this personal business. So I don't do it, but, but that's the core of all these firms and some are innovating faster than others. I see y'all as innovative. So how do y'all go about that of staying ahead of the curve and innovative with technology, but staying true to your core values and your core philosophies and who you are as a firm and in serving your clients. Yeah, so I'll say there's there's some luxuries of being larger as a firm, and probably one of those is the fact that we have invested in people to be in roles that not every firm has. And so as the firm has grown and we've chosen to not necessarily be bleeding edge with technology, but we know that innovating from a technology standpoint for a space for the the you know, financial services space, there's a lot of items, there's a lot of things you can do with technology. And so we've chosen to invest in roles that can focus on finding. Trevor's role, he's got his eye on technology. He has his ear to the ground, you could say, in terms of connections, relationships uh, that he's built over the years, constantly talking with folks that are at different firms, at the custodians, at some of the, the fintech startups, at conferences, right? He's, he's communicating on a regular basis with many different communities, you could say, finding out what's out there, right? Getting a pulse on what's coming down the line and then trying to evaluate whether it's a good fit for our firm or not. Like I said earlier, there's no shortage of ideas of what maybe advisors want or where, where our firm would see us potentially investing in. So we constantly have an enhancement list of you know, do we have a tool that can be enhanced to allow us some capability that we don't have today? Or do we need to find one or invest in one and see what the capabilities are? Again, uh, referencing AI, you know, there are tools today that you could imagine if you could come up with some type of solution from an AI standpoint to have what they might call a, a virtual assistant or some type of augmented process that speeds things up, right? It could be a planning tool. It could be something in your CRM system. Um, those those al alternatives are out there. And so we've essentially said, we want to know what those are because as your firm grows, if you're able to scale your business and scale the, the work of the advisor or of the CSA by investing in some of those tools, you know, the, the part of your question where you asked, how do you still kind of stay true to the core of the, let's say the service that you provide? right? The people that have been with you for 10, 15, 20 years or longer, you know, how do you make sure that you're not so far forward that you're maybe ignoring the service that they need and, and recognizing what they might want? And I'd say the way that we do that is certainly anything new is going to be highly tested, right? With maybe a small beta group and, and maybe even a new office or maybe somebody that has experience in this area. But we also have invested in a training role. So we have somebody on our tech team, we call a digital skills specialist. And that role, I believe, is unique to the industry, right? You don't see a lot of that. Usually that's tacked on to somebody else's role. They're the COO, so let's put them in charge of training everybody. <laughs> Not always the best idea because you realize if somebody doesn't have a lot of time to train, 
then you could argue the quality of your training is, is going to suffer. If you invest in somebody to have a majority maybe of their role focused on the training aspect, you'd be able to really dedicate resources towards how all of your people are going to use the technology that you've put into place. I think that has a huge impact on our ability to find new technology, roll it out, and not lose anything from what we had before, but if anything, just add to it, add components that kind of tweak your process, tweak your service, and allow you to enhance the experience. Our firm kind of has this uh, motto that we want to enhance lives, right? That's, that's really our, our mission that we're out to do is enhance the lives of our clients and the people that we interact with. I believe that not just enhancing the lives of our advisors, but at the end of the day, we want to give them more time to meet with either more people or more time with the, the existing clients they're working with. Technology can allow you to do that, but to your point, you got to have a way to do that. Um, you got to have kind of a method for it. So being able to invest in those areas definitely is something that our firm has found valuable and we've chosen to go to go in that direction. That's incredible. Having someone that's there just to train your team, so valuable. And, and it's a, it is a very nice luxury of a larger firm. And for those that may not be larger, I think that you can leverage your consultants and your tech teams at your custodians and some of your yeah. providers to help with that, to sure. evolve that role of it, as opposed to putting it on someone else. So because of time, I, I want to get to two questions. So we might do like a fire round. And, and, I, and this is the tough one, because I think that this one we could have a whole podcast on. But AI... I have to ask you, where does AI from your mindset, if you had to give it in a, in a brief overview, where does AI fit within our industry? Does it have a spot or not? And if so, where is it? And if not, why not? From your perspective, I mean, it's just, it's the hot topic for the year. Mm -hmm. So we have to, we have to touch on it. Yeah. I, I guess my, my quick answer is whether you like it or not, it's going to maybe jam itself into every industry. And it's more about reacting to it, maybe that it is of deciding a yes or a no. So I think it's going to come at us. I think it's going to come to us. It's going to be front and center. I don't know that it's going to be the end all. I don't think it's the solution to any of our problems. Here's what I don't know. Does it remind you at all of when kind of the robo advisor concept came out? And remember, people were a little worried about that, a little uncertain. I that, mean, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. That's a good question. I, I think it does. I think it does. I think it's a little bit bigger because it impacts more aspects of the firm of an organization. And, and, right. um, and it's not, and it's not like saying, I don't think that the mentality of the MO of AI is we're going to replace all of you. I think it's like, it's coming at it with the approach of we're going to augment y'all. I think that we are interpreting it as a replacing, but I think that the AI world is saying, we're going to help you as opposed to robo is like, we're going to battle you and take you <laughs> over was like their mentality that I recall from that side. But I have an yeah. illusion of, of memory as well. No, and that's, that's fair. I mean, I think we all kind of look back and say, what did we think at the time? You know, what did we think at the time? And I, I think there was maybe this uncertainty. And, and that's really where I guess I'm, I'm at right now is I'm uncertain of where it's going to land. So does it fit? Yeah, I think there's, there's a, the thinking of, you know, how can we certainly speed things up? There's an efficiency, there's, there's a learning aspect, right? That just, is almost a barrier that's removed. You know, does it level the playing field? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I almost hope it does. I would love to see maybe the luxuries of a larger firm being able to invest in something, not be separating somebody so much from a small firm that, that may realize, boy, we can leverage AI and have tools that allow us to write marketing as if we had a marketing person that could allow us to understand compliance law as if we had an in-house 
compliance attorney, right? There are things that, you know, what you do with that then maybe becomes a challenge, right? Is, is the firm still needs to figure out, are we going to use it ourselves and figure out a way to make our firm more efficient? Or are we going to just rely upon what maybe all of our vendors, how they use AI and how they push it to us? I'd probably lean towards the latter saying there's probably more firms that are going to wait for it to come to them. You'll probably see a separation of firms that are going to decide we're going to grab AI ourselves and we're going to choose to implement it, right? I've, we, we have a session coming up at Insiders Forum in the hyphen pre-conference sessions that's going to be focused on the use of a firm that has proactively used AI throughout this whole year, which to me is just in a good way, like separating themselves. They're showing that, boy, you can be proactive and really deep dive and go in and find a lot of value for this now. Whereas I think the, the majority of firms are a little bit more reactive and they're kind of waiting to see well, what's going to come to me? What are my current vendors? What are my custodians going to provide with the use of AI? That's kind of how I'm seeing it. I don't know if that'll play out perfectly that way and I'll be dead wrong, but right now, I guess that's kind of how I view it. I think it's the wild west right now. So anybody's prediction could be right. We're throwing a lot of mud up against the wall. We're seeing what <laughs> sticks, but I do think that your, your point of it's going to find a way to infiltrate itself into every industry yeah. is there. And in reality, it's already there. We just don't realize it. We're now just being exposed to it because they've created an ability for us to interact with it in a different way. And so it will be interesting to see. For brevity, we're going to pass over M&A. That's another whole topic that I think I don't want to rush through that. So we may just have to have you back on to talk about M&A. Maybe we'll, we'll see if your prediction on AI was right. But I, I think that there's so much more to, to dive into. But I found so much value in this already regarding technology and, and operations and community and making decisions and setting up your team for success and how you all have grown. So I think we'll We'll put M&A on the back burner. But before I let you go, I want to ask two questions to wrap it up that I ask everybody. And the first one is, is being a, a lifelong constant learner, I like to learn from smart people. You're an extremely smart person. And the way I like to learn is through reading. So I'm curious, of the, is there a book out there that you, know, you think everybody should read if they haven't or reread if they already have that's really had an impact on you and your, your mindset? Yeah, there's there's a book that I thought of almost immediately when I when I thought about you know what I might suggest, and the author is Cheryl O'Loughlin, and the book is called Killing It with an exclamation point. So it's very much an entrepreneur's book. It basically kind of goes through the uh, how do how do you dive into your dream and kind of not not kill yourself, right? Like how do you not lose heart? How do you not lose where you started the business when it grows and it becomes challenging and you got everything from payroll to compliance and you know, the challenging pieces of having the business. It's not industry specific to the RAA space, but I found this kind of invigorating having Hyphen and having Sequoia and just knowing a lot of small business owners are working at RAAs and I was encouraged by it. So that that's the book that I'd like to suggest. I love that. Killing it. I'm going to go check it out. Last question I have. We talked about a ton and we could have probably talked for another hour and a half easily. Hmm. If there's one thing that you hope the listeners take away that's an actionable piece for them to, to go and actually act on tomorrow to better themselves, better their firm, whatever it may be, what is that one actionable piece of advice from our conversation today that you hope listeners take away? So I'm going to reference our firm, even though I referenced us being a larger firm that has a couple of roles that are very focused, that we've invested in. My action item would be to challenge everyone to take one of those areas, take something like training, 
Take something like being proactive with AI. Take something like looking into software and not just waiting for it to kind of happen or come to you. And and find one one thing that you can really start to dive into. Doesn't mean you have to find an hour a week because sometimes that just doesn't happen. But it's very much just getting started on an idea that you've had and finding 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes it's just reaching out to somebody that knows more about that than you. And that could be the action item. Just have that conversation, right? It might be easier to say, I don't even know where to start with the internet, but I know I can call Sean and just start this conversation. That I think would be a positive first step in just making some progress to get the ball rolling. Uh, sometimes that's that's all it takes to kind of help you get past something that you think you'll never accomplish. I love it. I love it. Sean, I'm super grateful for you, the, our friendship and, and your time here. And I, I'm sure that we're going to continue the conversation, you and I, and others will want to continue the conversation with you as well and continue to follow you. What's the best way for people to stay in touch and continue to follow you? Probably the best way is through the hyphen website. So hyphen.org. If you need to email or get in touch with me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at hyphen.org. That's the best way to keep in touch. Sean, keep up doing all the great stuff, man. Can't wait to continue to follow your journey. And thanks again for joining us here on Bridging the Gap today. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 